Videos recorded by U.S. Navy personnel have added a new layer of evidence to the current national debate about UFOs. For the first time, radar images recorded inside a Navy ship have confirmed the presence of several unknown objects that swarmed around the ship for hours. I-team reporter George Knapp here with a story that broke today on Mystery Wire. Thanks, Brian. Over the past three years or so, the public has been able to see several astounding images of what certainly qualify as UFOs during encounters with the U.S. Navy. There's no question that the Pentagon has censored data to go along with the photos and videos, but none of that information has been leaked or otherwise released, that is, until today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Wet Wire. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. Today, we're continuing our recent coverage of UFO disclosures and the UFO disclosure movement in something that Jules is trying to insist that we make a month out of somehow. That like, this is going to be the <laughs> month of something. He keeps wanting a theme. I keep telling him no. August aliens. Yeah. It, it'll no, be great. August aliens. It's not, we're not doing that. <laughs> Even though we probably are doing it, we're just not going to call it that. <laughs> We're going to be talking some more about a few of the players in the recent U.S. House hearing on UFOs, but to put all that in context, we need to look back into the history of UFO disclosures. And that history is pretty wild. What we find is a wilderness of secret government programs, psychological warfare, inveterate liars, true believers, grifters, and more than a few willing dupes. To uh, help guide us through this world of declassified documents and unknowable truths, we're joined today by Bradley Plazier. Uh, it's pleasure, actually. Oh, I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like it, but it's literally pleasure. All right, so welcome, Bradley. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate yeah, welcome it. on. It's an honor. Thank you. Maybe to get things going, could you tell us a little bit about your your interest in UFOs and like maybe the disclosure? I don't know. I don't even know if I could call it a movement, but I think it the people who are involved in it, like Stephen Greer, wants it to be a movement for sure. Right. How did you get interested, and what keeps you going? Well, it actually it started when I was. Um, it wasn't UFOs at first. When I was in my my mom says when I was in fifth grade. Well, somehow a copy of Lauren Coleman's Cryptozoology A to Z ended up in my hands when I was in fifth grade. And uh, after I saw that, all I wanted was for like Nessie to be my best friend and to <laughs> hang out with me. And uh, like I used, <laughs> my mom says I used to tell adults when I was in fifth grade that I wanted to be a cryptozoologist when I grew up. Um and then took even more pride in explaining what a cryptozoologist was. Uh, it didn't happen, obviously, but uh, in in between eighth and ninth grade, I had a UFO sighting of like just this weird like ball of light of doing a serpentine thing behind the trees in my backyard. Um, so then I got interested in that. I stole a book from the library first week of high school. Still have it. Uh, hmm. Do not recommend reading it. <laughs> Uh, it was Nick Pope's uh, Open Skies, Closed Minds. Oh, Nick Pope. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Another <laughs> big fucking weird dude. <laughs> um, but the... Uh, Jules just saw him in person a couple of months ago. No shit. How was he? Were you at it, Alien Con? Oh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, before Alien Con, it was, it was uh, the Ancient Aliens Tour. That's so sick. How was it? Uh, it was fun at uh, unexpected things. Um, 
no aliens showed up, but definitely some yeah. right wing Christians were protesting. And oh yeah, uh, it, honestly, <clears throat> fun show, fun show, good fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The, the the Nick Pope book was not that good. I actually I went to a thing at my high school recently, and I thought about bringing it back because I'd stolen it. My <laughs> high school doesn't have a library anymore. What? <laughs> <laughs> no library they just got rid of it nobody used it apparently wait are you in florida but, <clears throat> just to clarify I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in michigan oh, okay um but the uh anyways saw ufo in between eighth and ninth grade never lost interest in the subject um i did for a little bit in college um i was also in the army and was playing college tennis too and it was just like a lot. So I just sort of UFOs fell out of, I stopped really caring about them much. Um, but I came back to them uh, a few years later when Tom DeLong did his whole thing, um, which we, I would be happy to talk a lot about and all those guys. I would like the, to get uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's in my just, notes <laughs> in, in between, like in between um, losing interest in UFOs and that I'd gotten really into um I came across another book, uh, Killing Hope by William Bloom, um, about CIA and military interventions overseas for regime change after World War II, which was a big deal for me because I started to realize that the world wasn't as I thought it, it as it, it seems to me. Like, I never knew any of this stuff, which is why I joined the army. <laughs> like, I didn't know what they did. I was 17. It's weird they let you do that. But, uh, yeah, I... I then Ferguson happened and it was just like, Oh, okay. So these things are the world that operates in a very different way than I thought. And that helped a lot in understanding what's going on with the UFO stuff that happened in 2016, 17. And since also I had a, um, I had a law. I spent three years, 2017 to 2020 being an insane per we, we had a legitimate wave of high strangeness in Michigan. Um, and, I saw a lot of really weird stuff that I can talk about later if you want, but the, uh, I spent a lot of those years just being a crazy person looking at the sky too. So I had that bona fide too. That's fantastic. Uh, can, can we, can we cleave it open with, uh, Tom DeLong and, and blink One Eighty Two? I mean, I, <laughs> this, this is, this is back to high school for me, not the UFO part, uh, with, with Tom DeLong. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how, how long he's been doing that, but uh, <clears throat> all the small things has been a very special place in my heart for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. What's he up to? What's going on? He's a uh, blinks back. He's fucking touring with blink. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's it. Like the whole like show is like over um, the, like, his, I mean, he over, he, he outstayed his like usefulness very quickly. Like, did you hear about that uh, History Channel show that they had, Unidentified? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He wasn't in season two. Mm -hmm. Like, they just, like, sort of pushed him out of the picture pre for pretty much everything except for, what, what, merch stuff, I guess. And he had those, like, two Secret Machines books or something. But, like, that was basically it. He was just, like, the uh, uh, sort of stepping stone to getting all this started. Well, it's, what's, what's his, what's his context in, in the UFO scene? I mean, I, I always knew him, uh, as, uh, you know, being, uh, part of a, a shitty pop punk band, uh, from, from my youth, but what, what is, yep. what, what is the context? How, how did he become such a, a, um, 
important name in what we're talking about in UFOs right now? Uh, from what I understand, I mean, the, there's the, I don't know what year it came out, but the Aliens Exist song, like he's always been into this stuff. Yeah. Um, he was really good at uh, one thing at the perfect cultural moment, which is pop punk music. Um, and that sort of went out of style. He tried to do angels and airwaves and stuff. And that, that just kind of went nowhere. He tried to evolve. He tried to not be the kid anymore. Um, and it just like never happened. And he didn't really have any other interest really, except for like, I guess, I guess besides girls, it was just UFOs cause they're interesting, uh, which I totally understand. But like, he doesn't seem to be like a, he, he talks himself up as being like a really, about reading UFO books constantly on the tour bus and stuff. Like he's some type of expert, but he's pretty clearly in everything that he says, not Um, uh, like the Joe Rogan interview he did in like 2016 or 17. was just like fucking brutal. If you listen to it, like I couldn't make it past 15 minutes. I was just like, this is, this sucks. I don't want to hear this. Um, Cause I feel bad for him. Cause I feel like he thinks he's this thing that he's not. And, um, because of that, he had this ambitious idea. Well, he's also a, like a, a patriot. I don't know what the impetus for all this was, what the initial starting like catalyst was for him deciding that he had this idea to do UFO disclosure. I'm not sure if we know about that because they stopped letting him give freewheeling interviews a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, he gets to it starts with him giving a pitch to i want to say like the head of Lockheed martin skunk works it was one of those aerospace guys that he gets a meeting with through this weird i don't remember how i think he just said a friend um but he tells i want to say the head of Lockheed martin skunk works that he has this idea for a project he's been thinking about it for a long time and if i do it right which means if you help me out and let me do it right then uh you guys in the government will be very happy that the point got, it will reverse the cynicism that people have toward the government. And frankly, the U the U military industrial complex is literally what he said. Word for word. Um, How did they take that? I think they were pretty happy. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah Cause I they mean, got yeah. on board. You're right. That it's like, Holy shit. How did this happen? They just, he just fell into their lap. Um, when I, when I wrote that part in the beginning about the willing dupes, I had Tom DeLonge in mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Like he's like a lost boy. Yeah. <laughs> he's a doofus. Like it's really, I do feel bad for him. Um, Cause he either now has to uh, either realize that he was wrong, which I don't think he's capable of doing. Um, Cause I'm, it's easier to just go along with it and say, you change the world. I mean, th th there's literally like, there was a Toronto recently, like a, two weeks ago, there was a big, electronic billboard that said tom was right and now ttsa is selling tom was right merch <laughs> maybe mm. we should get out on, on that and start some tom was right t-shirts <laughs> yeah what, what was yeah. it right about uh, al uh fuck, aliens fucking exist i think is what it said okay all right mm -hmm. all right which i'm pretty they maybe i mean maybe uh i'm not convinced i've seen no evidence but maybe when you think about the like the way disclosure is handled right now and the interest in it, how far back do you go in the, in the history of that? Like with UFO encounters, when you think of like, this is the, this is really where it started, at least in the sense of the way we, we can think of it now. Uh, of disclosure specifically, the concept of it. 
Yeah, like the interest in disclosure. I mean, obviously the encounters go back like, you know, quite a quite a ways. There's a couple of pre-Roswell things that went on, I think, with like sure. Kenneth Arnold. And you know, like actually, you know what? Maybe you could could you talk about that? Kenneth Arnold? Yeah. Uh a little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, like he he um he's always fascinated me. I think the important thing to take away from the Kenneth Arnold sighting is that uh he said that he saw he didn't think they were aliens. He didn't think they were spaceships. He thought they were like, like new types of like military, like planes mm -hmm. or aircraft, um, which at the start of the cold war is like fucking not something you want to be saying on national news. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, like the, and the whole like following thing from that, like, like just days later after that, he gets, I, I talked about this in true and on, but he gets a package in the mail from um, this guy, Harold Dahl, who said that he had his own UFO sighting, which killed his dog and like destroyed his boat where this uh, donut shaped UFO was spitting out like slag. And it just like, they almost like killed him. Um, and then uh, he sent him some of the slag and said that he basically, he was basically being prodded to investigate this incident, which is called the Maury Island incident at the behest of Ray Palmer who was the editor of Amazing Stories, which was one of the most popular fucking magazines like ever at the time. I think it had like a quarter million subscribers, which is... Yeah, and, and and the Amazing Stories is also famous for... Um, I, I remember uh, I remember Lumeria too, Lumor which is... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because it's like he was printing stuff that was claiming to be factual, and even though it's a science fiction magazine. Exactly. It's like a, a true, like, a, I can't remember what the words were, but it was like a 100% true story or something. And it was written by a guy with, who's like a paranoid schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Ray Palmer gives him some money to come investigate this, the Maury Island incident, um, which uh, sort of also the, the guy, Harold Dahl, the guy who supposedly had the incident, he said that in the Harbor Patrol where this occurred, like, like, super spook fred crispin was his superior at the harbor patrol which is a super fucking weird thing to say um and then just, just all the shit that happens and it looks like that it was either a complete ruse or um some type of very like uh, sophisticated and intricate like um uh counterintelligence operation to see if he was if kenneth arnold was some type of soviet mole or if he like was working for the soviets because i mean there's all this weird shit that happens about like reporters calling his hotel room his hotel room being booked for him before he even got to the maury island area with like his like, fucking like shit being tinkered with on his plane that almost made him crash uh just all this weird fuckery that like only makes sense in the context of it being a cold war um counterintelligence type thing where they're trying to figure out what he knows or if he can lead the government to his handlers from the Soviet Union. Um, and also there's a nuclear refinery plant like right next door. Like all the things, all the ingredients you would need. It, to, it's, all, it's, it's all there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> except and the aliens. Yeah. Except, except <laughs> actual aliens. And I mean, like this is, I mean, I'm definitely an enthusiastic amateur here, you know, so I'm oh, gonna, I, totally I, understand. I will yeah. consistently defer to you and, and ask you questions about these things. But the, the, the impression that I get when I look back at some of these older stories is that sort of a combination of things, because some things seem like they were completely orchestrated 
by intelligence services, by U.S. Mm -hmm. intelligence. And yeah. then the fallout sort of went where it went and they steered it as best they could and, you know, and so on. But then other in other instances, the, the, the stories, once they break free into, into the wider world and people start talking about it, then that just becomes a useful thing. Then you have these spontaneous people who come up with their own experiences. And that's just, it, it just adds to this general field of chaos. And inside this field of chaos, it seems, and I, I, mean, I'm, I know I'm getting, you know, way out on a ledge here when it comes to all the speculating, but the that general field of chaos is a great environment to just operate in any which way you please. Yeah. I mean, when you have like, and that's one of the things that I like try to tell people that I, I'm, like, when people text me asking about all this UFO, UFO stuff going on, I don't think that there is actually like a grand aim or conspiracy like a single like all this stuff is for this one thing type of uh idea that the spooks have or whatever uh it really is just i mean like just take roswell for example like roswell um the roswell army airfield initially gives the press release that they have a flying saucer uh two three days later which is a, the next month after kenneth arnold too yes it is just a month just like later two, two, two weeks later yep. yeah 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 um, less than and yeah. And the, also the flying saucer term had just been coined. Right. right. And and that's something, too, that comes out of Kenneth Arnold. Well, it comes out of the coverage of Kenneth Arnold's uh, yeah. uh, relating of the of the incident where, yeah. like, I think the quote was that, that I have written down, at least, is that it would it was as if they were um, they were uh, saucers, as if you skipped them across the water across or something water. like that. Yeah, exactly. And so all of a yeah. sudden flying and saucers get wedged together. And now we exactly. have this whole this whole picture that has stuck with us for decades. And it's crazy because what Kenneth Arnold said he saw weren't flying saucers. They were more boomerang shaped. Yeah, right. I mean, he describes them as uh, bat like objects at one point and boomerang shaped. And yeah, yeah I think he had a like four ish different descriptions of it, right. which I don't know what to make of that either. But uh, yeah. Do, do you know I, if he described uh, like erratic flight patterns or any of the things that we've come to get familiar with from more recent uh, stories about encounters? Erratic flight patterns, meaning just like, like super zigging and zagging thing. in ways that are, that don't seem usual for, for planes. I don't think so. No, yeah. I, I don't think, think I didn't see that either. And it makes me think like, you know, there, there was, there were developmental programs for experimental aircraft that were basically just like a flying wing. Yep. Yep. And uh, Mark Pilkington in his book, Mirage Men gets way into the weeds on all of that. I'm not going to remember it off the top of my head, but there were a number of different types of like experimental aircraft that were like that. Some of which like went to in, like literally into the black budget and then some that didn't. And like, it's ba basically the conclusions that he comes to the responsible conclusions are that is it possible that it could be military aircraft that look like flying saucers and it's like maybe and and it's, yeah and especially it's, and when fact, you describe them as boomerangs it's know, that because same, it's that same year where I, he he's describing his experience to to the to the press and the headlines go ape shit over over this this idea of the flying saucers then right after that we have the the roswell incident but notably Throughout that entire year, it's exploding with headlines about everybody and their mother seeing uh, flying saucers. Nobody saw them nearly the year before, but after these headlines are are you know catching the attention of the American public, there suddenly we see thousands of sightings. 
Yep. All and across the, the United uh, States and North America generally. Uh, another thing that was dominating headlines at the time was just all the um, post Manhattan Project technological breakthroughs, like the first microwave, uh, the breaking the sound barrier for the first time. Like, there's a long list of stuff that literally occurred that year that was just like capturing everybody's imagination. Well, I and mean, it, we don't even learn that just around the corner. <laughs> we don't even learn that nukes exist uh, uh, in 1945, two years prior to this. And exactly. by we, I mean the entire world. Yeah. Uh, the, um, and from what I understand too, is like all technological development, even from like just LCD TVs to like uh, car, like everything like comes out of military research and development, which started with the nuclear weapons program. Um, so there's this fascination in technology coming out of the time. So flying sauce. I mean, people were thinking that we were going to be flying, having flying cars soon and shit like that. Like not long before that. So I mean, it makes sense. Like the, the UFO phenomena always seems to just be just around the corner in technological development. Going back to like 1897 with the airship sightings that seemed to like some people described as like having locomotion type things on them or just like big like paper wings and just like. It, it, airships that were just a few years from becoming a reality, like being an actual invention that somebody was able to make fly. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's fascinating how it's always just around the corner from what the current uh, technology is at. Like, even with like the, uh, the 80s and 90s with the Black Triangle UFOs, mm -hmm. which I, I saw, I fucking saw one of those in 2017, um, which is crazy. Right but, before the stealth bomber came out. Exactly it's always just sort of like morphs to the popular imagination at the time. And, and it makes sense. Like you have to fly these things before you can start, you know, relying on them or expecting that you can rely on them. Obviously there's, that'll be thousands and thousands of hours of test flights, tens of thousands. Right. And, you know, so of course they're, they're going to be experimenting by taking them up in the air as soon as they're ready to go. And cause you can only do so much in a wind tunnel and right. People are going to see that, you know, and in the I, same yeah, way course, that, yeah. you know, there was just a, a, a I, I saw a photo and I don't know, it was on my newsfeed on my phone. And it was a it was a, a cyber truck that was spotted at a stoplight, you know, like this uh, yeah. because you have to like bring it out on the road and drive it around, right. you know, before you yeah. can put, you know, like it'll still be a piece of shit when it gets into production. But, you right. know, like it's like. <laughs> There's somebody in that in that team, like in that pipeline, that that cares about the test drive still. Right. Yeah. The uh, there's a great book um, by uh, this guy Phil Patton who died a while back. I think he was primarily a design guy, like he was a design writer, but he also had this eye for uh, uh, he could see meaning and um, uh, do cultural criticism just by looking at things and concepts so much better than anybody else like he has a book about the u.s highway system which is amazing that i read last summer about like what it meant for the future of the country what it did to the culture what it did to just the american mind and what it means and then he had this book about uh just football and television and its relationship and what it means to america and then he has this book called dreamland about area 51 where he basically does like a travel writing type thing where he hangs out with all the um flying saucer weirdos and the black plane spotters in this weird intersection with the two where they're like doing the same thing, but have completely different interests and names and beliefs. Um, and a lot of it is uh, just sort of cold war 
plane development history. And it is just fascinating stuff. Um, the, the thing that I always think about when I think about the book is this. I'm still not sure if it's true. I hope one of your listeners knows a lot about bats because I, I love bats. And there's this thing where Ben Rich, the guy who was it Ben Rich at the time, had a Lockheed Martin Skunk Works where they were developing the F-117. And uh, the first sign that they knew that the stealth shit actually worked, apparently, according to them, it, I don't know if this is just them talking it up and making it sound better or not, but they said that when they opened the hangars in the morning, there would be dead bats on the ground because the bats' echolocation couldn't sense it. And mm. into it. They fly into um, it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was true, but... Um, that, that's always stuck out to me, especially because that plane was like literally developed by an algorithm. Mm-hmm. Like, th- like they had a new type of computer system that they needed to figure out how to make stealth work, and they put it in the computer, and this is what it came out with. And nobody thought it would fucking work because it looks fucking ridiculous. It's all these weird angular things, and it just doesn't look like it'd be able to fly nor be stealthy, but it fucking worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the, uh, like you, I don't, I don't remember what your original question was. Sorry, I don't either. But the, <laughs> I, 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 I think that bat story actually made it into an episode of The Americans. Really? And I, I mean, I don't know if it's factual or not, but I, I know it's a story that's out there, you know, about the stealth program. It's a fucking great story. I, I really like bats, so that one always stuck out to me. Just kind of continuing like through time a little bit, the the only other event that really stood out to me, and obviously there's plenty. Do you know anything about the invasion of Washington? Uh, 52. Yes. Yeah, that one. I know a, a little bit uh, because this was, was Alan Dulles head of the CIA yet? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I can't remember if he was, if he was the uh, an assistant director or if he was the director at that point. Yeah, I, I was honest when we were talking about Kenneth Arnold. I was hoping. No, no, he, he was the director. He was the director in '52. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. That makes more sense then. Yeah, because the um, uh, I the, that one's always frustrated me because I've never read like a single like book invest like a huge investigation of it or anything, but I've read about it in a bunch of other books, and I have no fucking idea what that was. Like, it, I I want to think that it was something. Uh, like CIA related involving or Air Force and CIA related involving um, testing out different types of radar spoofing. Yeah. Um, or sc- and scrambling air defense too. Yeah, exactly. like you know like they're like doing all this cold war prep for like some sort of uh, of a nuclear attack or a bombing run from the Soviets because there were no ICBMs yeah. at that point. So anything that was going to bomb an American city was going to be a plane. And right. And I, I don't know why it would operate on like a human type of schedule when it comes to work weeks. Why, why would it just be on weekends? I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, but yeah, so there's this, yeah, this rash of sightings, but just on the weekend. <laughs> just on the weekend. And also one of my favorite parts of that story is that um, Kenneth Arnold, or not Kenneth Arnold, um, uh, uh, Edward Ruppelt, the first head of Project Blue Book was Edward Ruppelt. 
I'm, I'm going to rely on you for that. <laughs> I, th- I think I think it was Rob Bell. He uh, he wrote the um, uh, his, a memoir about running Blue Book, and he said that he couldn't even. Uh, he found out about it from the papers like two days later. Like none of his superiors told him. And then when he tried to get a car to investigate, like a company car, government car, just couldn't fucking get one to like drive down there. And he said that uh, he should have called Avis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the uh, I don't think the capitalists have gotten to that rental car point yet. <laughs> <laughs> they were able to, but the, uh, the he said that the report took a year, and he said it could have taken a day if he could have been given a car to go investigate. But they, 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 for some reason, they just didn't want him to investigate or tell him about it. Or uh, just, it's so stupid how all that stuff is operated. It's baffling. And he was the head yeah. of Blue Book, which was the, which was established to investigate UFO sightings. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. he's not doing this as a side project uh, from his other daily duties. Right. This is his one thing. This is one thing. It's it it quite literally like if you were just a normal person like with an interest in the flying saucers like this would be the fucking dream job being able to do this on the military's dime yeah and get paid military money but then all this fucking bullshit's in the way that would suck it it seems like a lot of these guys especially early on didn't really want these kinds of assignments though i don't think anybody did like and like nobody there were from what I understand, the popular mind at the time is that there's plenty of people interested in it, mm-hmm. but there's no real like, um, what's the, what's the right way to put it? Like, you don't want to be known to be that guy, first of all. And it, the, I don't just, I feel like most people just would realize that there's no making heads or tails of it because like you're in the cold war, you're in the military, you understand how serious all this shit is. Like, I don't, know what he was thinking with whether or not he would actually be told the truth because again most people didn't think they were actually aliens at the time that wouldn't come till like a little bit later with like the day the earth stood still mm-hmm. which came yeah. out right before the washington dc sightings where literally a ufo lands on the uh, like in washington that's where the whole concept comes from landing on the white house lawn this is where the concept come from this is that movie and it's the same thing in uh the actual uh, the whole like, making headlines around the country with all these sightings around Washington, D.C. and stuff, and then actually landing. It's its like one for one. It's crazy. Except they never actually land because they're not aliens. But it, because yeah, they're not it, aliens. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's all part of the same, the same uh, uh, temperature at the moment where you've got this, this new, all kinds of new technology in, in the American uh, uh, public's purview the, the 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 things that they're considering and thinking about it's the zeitgeist of uh, uh this world of uh infinite possibilities and whatever you think you uh, uh whatever you can imagine uh no you don't because there's something even fucking crazier and uh yeah. because you just found out that the craziest thing that you could think of that you didn't think of uh, they re- the uh, President Truman comes on and says, hey, by the way, uh, we have these crazy fucking bombs that split the atom. And uh, uh, also we have um, microwaves and television sets are currently displacing radios as like the main form of communication that are, are proliferating throughout American households. And you got all this shit going on. 
meanwhile, uh, we're shifting gears from hating the Nazis to hating the Ruskies and figuring out uh, what the what the Soviets and the Cheka and the KGB are up to. And, and all of a sudden uh, we're we're looking everywhere in this in this paranoid, frantic uh, uh, kind of a, a, of a temperature in, in the American popular consciousness of, hey, anything around the corner could be anything. It's probably communists could be UFOs. I mean, 1938 was the, the war of the world's panic uh, on the on the radio station. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've got this this mindset happening in the United States after World War II. What are those Ruskies up to? And um, I, even though the Posadists were, were, you know, a decade later, they just did a good fucking mashup of this paranoia about a decade late and just said, hey, how about aliens and communists? Exactly. Like I, there's one essay that uh, Posadas wrote. I can't remember the title, but it's one of the best titles of anything ever. It's just like about technology, aliens, uh, and socialism and the the future of mankind. And he makes. I mean, obviously, Posadas was a fucking psycho. <laughs> um, but like, he had some fucking good points because nobody really formulated like socialist UFO stuff before, thought before. And he makes a lot of great points in it about how, like, uh, what incentive does the um, the capitalist or the like uh, the Western states have in investigating UFOs? Like, if they are, it, it's it will only be in a military capacity if they do at all. But it probably won't be because that actually requires doing work, and it's a pretty fucking confusing subject matter and like ufos if they are actually extraterrestrial or something else they're that would actually require a lot of work to investigate which they're not gonna fucking do and the it will be weaponized if anything and ultimately psychologically um yeah Posadas was uh, leslie keen and all those like those people asking why science can't tackle the ufo problem really need to uh, brush up on their Posadas. but the uh what was it going to, Oh, I, I was going to say, I need to go back to Roswell because my point about Roswell was going to be um, the, so they, they issued the press release like uh, about the Roswell flying saucer crash a couple days later, walk it back. And then they say it's a weather balloon. Everybody stops thinking about it. Nobody questions it because why would they, they have no reason to. Um, and then everybody forgets about it for 30 years. Turns out it was a classified project. It was a mogul balloon or uh, whatever, like um, to uh, sensors for detecting um, Soviet nuclear detonations and tests. Right. And it was a super high altitude balloon. Yeah. yeah. And it was uh, very, very classified. Um, and everybody forgot about it until 30 years later when the intelligence community realized that might be useful. Yeah. Um, which means that. The flying saucer press release served its purpose because uh, everybody just looked away from the mogul stuff. And then uh, years later, decades later, brought it back out of the fucking thing, the tool chest and made it a psyop. I, I think I think of that that hit 1980s song, uh, 99 Red Balloons, where in it she's talking about nuclear warfare set off by a bunch of balloons that are that are draping across the landscape and everybody thinks it's some kind of a, a threat from the other side the soviets and and the us and uh, of course she was german so 
contextually. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and uh, 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 99 Luft balloons, and <laughs> and uh, and it, you know it, it it even strikes to m- more recent coverage where we've got the Chinese weather balloons just floating yeah. across the United States and North America until they're finally shot down. And the Chinese well, government you, is not until one, one or two were shot down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah that's that's part of the scandal. That, yeah, yeah. That's part of the scandal that comes out of the, like how, what, what the fuck were people doing like inside of the UAPTF, you know, because they certainly, they weren't, looking for for surveillance balloons coming following the jet stream from China they were too busy looking for UFOs uh, yeah I, I mean that week was one of the most annoying weeks of my time oh seriously like, I I literally yeah. needed the words like balloons UFO like I all know. that shit I, I could not <laughs> deal with it like there was a fucking journalist at the White House who asked the press secretary if they were extraterrestrial which is one <laughs> of the most insane things I've ever seen in my entire life like how do you, the, the fact that somebody can get like start to think that just because there were some did they they were well actually it helps because they were using the word like unidentified flying object or whatever but like the fact that you draw that conclusion or like need that to be clarified at all is not a good sign of the information space no, in this country <laughs> it's not it is not I, I i wish you remember what uh what outfit that journalist was from because i'd love to know I did, who they were I writing for <laughs> who, who what story that was going to fall into <laughs> uh I, i'm pretty sure i i bet a lot of people were thinking it but like they're somebody asked it and it's fucking crazy and so depressing and it's um, it's the same sort of knee-jerk superstitious reaction there's there's some rustling in the bushes and it's you know of course probably gin coming out and uh mm-hmm. you know they're not going to grant you any wishes but uh then it turns out it was just the wind i would rather have that i, I would rather have like oh it was like you know like a like a japanese mythological creature like a kappa or <laughs> something like that yeah like that that would be so much more entertaining than it's always aliens i mean that that's i that, i can't remember if I mentioned it on True and On, but I, I say something to that effect on True and On. Like I would be so bummed if it turned out to be aliens. Like, yeah, it's just so it's just a, a disappointment. Like I think it's so much more interesting than that. Um, yeah, that really uh, is. At, uh, at this point, it's and it's. I mean, it's almost surprising to to say this and mean it, but that would be the most boring outcome. Literally, the most boring outcome. Like the super secret military projects would be more interesting. Like literally anything would be more interesting. Oh yeah, discovering that. a web of psychological operations that and and you know and taking advantage of all this hysteria that gets built up over flying unidentified flying objects is way more interesting than them actually being alien spacecraft. I mean, it'd be one thing if we could actually like talk to the aliens or something if they were aliens, but I, I'm also not convinced if it was aliens or if there are aliens that we'd be able to do that in the first place. Like the whole like um, uh, roadside picnic uh, type thing where the, the there's the problem of what is intelligence and we don't know what intelligence is and they would have to be psychologically human and that if aliens were real, the best model we have for it is Vonnegut basically. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. It would be something like um, the Trelfamadorians. I was going to say, are right, they going to send us back into our own timeline and, and we're going to relive <laughs> sex scenes for a minute? 
Yeah, the character in Roadside Picnic literally says that's how it is. You read Vonnegut. Um, and the, uh, or like Solaris by Stanislav Lem, the ocean intelligence. Absolutely fantastic book and movie. I I just read it for the first time. Yeah. Um, The the Tarkovsky uh, movie is insanely good. I I need to make that a project because I haven't seen Stalker either. Oh yeah. That's also really good. I heard they're both amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like these are like really interesting and like important thought experiments when it comes to what first contact of aliens would actually be like, because anybody talking about first contact in that it'd be something simple, like it would just be an exchange of information or something is like kidding themselves. Yeah. Um, like we're talking about fucking aliens, dude. Like I, I don't, I'm not convinced that they're even out there in the first place. There probably are, but like assuming that they would, evolved in the same way that we did and have the same way of exchanging information that we do is just so bird brained and stupid. You get the same thing with like a lot of people's relationship with religion where they basically just imagine a bigger version of a, of a guy, you know, like a a more powerful (laughs) guy. And like with all the, with all the same, you know, the, the same quirks that a regular guy would have, that's going to be, that's going to be the deity. I mean, that's, they make that point in Solaris um, about how, like, uh, he, I love how a lot of that book is just, like, um, the main character saying that, like, oh, Hari was reading this book about space food, and then I found this book on the shelf, and now I'm going to tell the humble reader for two hours about how Solaris works. It's <laughs> 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 uh, the lore of the planet. It's just so good. But there's a... He, there's one like 12 page pamphlet the character finds on the bookshelf in the library on the space station uh, that is um, uh, talks about this. It's literally, this is what published 1961. Mm-hmm. And he says that like um, the sol- like solaristics, the study of Solaris is um, quite literally a religion um, where everybody is just looking for, like people want to be able to make contact. Everybody's so obsessed with Solaris because they want to be able to make contact because they want to know what it means to exist in the universe and what it just like the meaning of life is. So you want to be Solarin, the brochure. Is that what it's called? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> no, it's pretty funny. It's pretty good. Yeah, that book is great. Highly recommend. Going, going back in time a little bit uh, again, or, or jump, jumping around the timeline like it's fucking Doctor Who over here, I kind of want to ask about cattle mutilations. We, I mean, we, we definitely have these, these different themes in, in popular ufology. Ufology? Ufology? Does anybody know how to, how to say it? I say ufology. Ufology, okay. Like, like, how, the, like how the British say ufo. Perfect. Uh, we do they? I think they say you. I didn't yeah. know that. That's hilarious. So, uh, uh, you, I mean, you had you had the flying saucers thing in the in the forties, uh, through throughout into into the fifties, and the shape of the saucers in in depictions of it changes from you know you've got like a pretty pronounced dome up top, 
and yeah they have wind windshields and stuff yeah yeah shields exactly yeah exhaust pipes yeah like it's <laughs> yeah. like it's a, i mean and it, fins it, it's it's really a very <laughs> fucking jetsons yeah. kind of a turn UFO. signals yeah i mean no, exactly yeah, yeah. They, they have fins just like the cars that we see on the road and exactly yeah. and then it gets yep. and, and it you know flattens out more and more and becomes more of like a, a pancake i mean uh, hearing that guy in the in the interview uh, or in in Congress, talk about the tic tac, and just hearing them say that over, and the one senator switching between saying tic tac and saying TikTok was worth its weight in gold. But it, whatever <laughs> yeah. we're talking about, it, like the the these different kind of like popular ideas, we we didn't go from that. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't a singular idea of what this looks like or what this is all about. We had little green men for a while, especially, you know, with, with the emergence of captain Kirk. Uh, and, <laughs> and then we, we had, uh, the grays at a certain point. And, but I mean, we didn't have the grays in the fifties. That wasn't there. Nope. So fifties was all, uh, people from Venus who looked like people. And we're just telling people that, um, actually what you should do is love each other and not that uh, detonate nuclear weapons. Yeah, and uh, you know, based on some of the book covers, they they were blonde haired, blue eyed, and tall. Yeah, they may weird, as well huh? been yeah. Nordic. A lot of white people on Venus. <laughs> yeah, people, people don't know that. Venus, yeah. yeah, people don't know that. <laughs> but anyway, what I was going to say, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jules, pull it back together, Jules. I, I, I'm pulling it together. <laughs> I'm getting it together. We're Where all wanted, over the place. <laughs> so, but the one that I, I haven't heard from in a while that. I remember watching fucking South Park it, it, a thousand years ago. It's the fucking cattle mutilations. We, we haven't heard from that in a while. What was that about? I mean, what, where was that happening? What, what was going on there? What was the official explanation? But what was, what, what was even the fucking motivation to cover up whatever might be covered up by whom? I mean, all the questions. Okay. I'm going to tell you right here first. Uh, Right here, you can put in the sound clip from the beginning of the Jose Chung's from Outer Space episode where the Air Force guy in the alien costume says, how the hell should I know? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so we got that. We got um, the uh, okay. cattle mutilations are uh, fascinate me because well, one, they have been covered recently. Um, uh, Fox News has done like segments on them and like they're back, basically. Like cattle mutilations are fucking back. I don't know if they actually are back or how much. They yeah. That's the thing. The coverage is back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's the other thing is I don't know how much they were here in the first place to begin with. We're announcing the upcoming episode and series two of Tucker Carlson originals on Fox nation. So one of the topics we thought we'd get into because we can is cattle mutilation, which you may have heard of and dismissed. But it turns out this has been going on for centuries around the world. Tens of thousands of animals recorded, mostly livestock, found dead and mutilated under circumstances that no one can explain. I think it's pretty clear that some cattle died weirdly. Um, I don't know how up for debate it was, that is, but like I know that there's a book that I haven't read and haven't been able to get my hands on called Mute Evidence that Mark Pilkington had recommended to me. Interesting. Um, about how the catamulation craze was largely, if not entirely, a media event and not like actual real things that were happening. 
I personally don't think that's true based on what I've read and stuff, but the, um, the, I mean, it may, it may, it could, it could be the child abduction, uh, craze in, in the eighties where Mm -hmm. there were a couple for sure. There weren't 50,000. Right. And yeah, the, the, once you get people like Bud Hopkins in there normalized, like to literally telling children that, oh yeah, that was what it was. You had little aliens coming into the room at night and kidnapping you. Uh, that's fucking not okay to do. And a lot of people like they, they fucked up a lot of people's brains. Like I have a, I have a friend who, um, he, like the way that I grew up, like in like Christian and going to Christian school, uh, my friend grew up, uh, like, they had a copy of communion in their house where our Bible would be. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would stay up like even when he was a kid listening to coast to coast and him and his siblings were all saturated in that. And he had a sibling who thought that he was being abducted by aliens. And my friend, uh, his name's Zach, he would uh, get really, he, he was ha- kind of having like a rebellious moment, like people with religious upbringings do with the religion where he was starting to be like, this is fucking bullshit. So he stayed up at night, like watching his bedroom to like, see if he was being abducted by aliens. And he fucking wasn't, um, which is like yeah. a lot. <laughs> like this, this, this stuff being in the public consciousness really does affect people in really serious ways. Um, but the, um, cat mutilation thing, I'm trying to remember why I brought it. Oh yeah. The association with aliens. Um, was that right is, away or is that something that developed over time? I think that was the, I think that was the work of, was it Linda Moulton Howe who popularized that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you familiar with her? No. Yeah. By name I am. Yeah. No, I don't. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. She, she was doing a, she is a, um, she was an investigative journalist at the time who, uh, this era of her life, like this area of study just like broke her. She was also like a victim of like Richard Doty psyop stuff. Like she was one of the first people shown the MJ 12 documents. Okay. Um, so so could, could you actually maybe take a sidetrack and tell us a little bit about Doty? Okay. So Richard Doty, he was a air force office of special investigations, uh, officer who he, he's like the herb boogeyman of UFO world. He is this short dorky looking dude with a nasally voice who giggles a lot and, uh, is a demon that he, uh, was he's famous for uh, driving a man named Paul Benowitz absolutely fucking insane by uh, feeding into his delusions that classified programs that he was seeing over a military base in Arizona were aliens instead of classified programs. Um, And there's a systematic campaign against Paul Benowitz to make him like absolutely psychotic psychological campaign against Paul Benowitz that lasted years to convince him that he was in contact with aliens, that he was witnessing aliens, that he was, that the aliens were evil, that he had to stop the aliens, all this absolutely insane shit, literally lots of people involved too, like so much money, just so depressing. And it, this is what made, this is basically the origin of the current belief in UFOs and um, Roswell. This is modern UFO mythology origin story, basically. Not not to get off track here, but uh, what what was the motivation? Why why did they want to convince him uh, of of seeing aliens or, or whatever else? It's a good question. Um, so what he was seeing 
were and he was he this guy Paul Benowitz he was a military contractor he was a very smart physicist and electrician and he was like literally a military contractor and a patriot and he um like just sort of in his off time was observing these things and taking in these things on his radio equipment and taking videos of these things that were happening over um I don't know why I can't remember the name of the military base, but uh, in Arizona, in, in Albuquerque. Kirtland. And, uh, Kirtland, yes, Kirtland. It's, it's right down the street and, from my house. <laughs> yeah. No no way. Yeah, I'm in Albuquerque. And, <laughs> nice. Do you like it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Nice. And um, I was born there the, too, so <laughs> you got you got two of right, them. Is that how you know each other? Yeah, yeah. we know each other <laughs> from here. Okay, gotcha. So, so Paul Benowitz goes to the goes to Kirtland like a good patriot would saying oh, this stuff is going on. I don't know if you know about this, but um, here it is. And they're like, holy shit, what the fuck is he doing with this stuff? Um, and they could have easily told him, hey, this is classified stuff. We just like, this is ours. Don't worry about it. Um, just don't talk about this to anybody. And he would have been totally fine with doing that. Uh, again, patriot and military contractor. But they didn't. They decided to feed into his delusions and say that, uh, whoa, this is fascinating. If you could get more of this to us. And then just, it just evolves over time to uh, them like giving him a bugged computer with like code in it. Because he's getting like alien messages, right? That are getting beamed to him from Kirtland um, that he has to decode. Like it's literally just the most psychotic shit. Like, seeing the actual like documents from inside Kirtland would be so fascinating just to see the extent of it because there was a lot of planning and a lot of time and a lot of man hours that went into all this stuff to just specifically drive this one man insane um who actually was uh his his pilling his him getting UFO pilled or whatever started at the cattle mutilation conference oh um, okay we conference uh, yeah, there was, it, it was back when cattle mutilations were still like the thing at the time. Like this is, um, mm-hmm. this is a guy, Greg Val, Greg Valdez, who was a uh, big in the cattle mutilation field. His, uh, I think he was a cop, um, who basically started like armed patrols at night with farm or, uh, cattle farmers and stuff. Uh, but I can't remember who it was, which is not good for the podcast, but that's cool. Uh, there, we'll, we'll figure there it was out. somebody at, there was somebody at that conference who from kirtland and this is before the benefits op- benowitz operation started which means that i think he'd been targeted specifically for whatever reason for whatever why. reason so i mean like you were saying this all started off pretty innocuous like he was observing something and then he went to go report it because he thought it, you know it might be a, an aircraft from another country or something like that or he had no idea he didn't really know but he thought it was worthwhile to to report but mm-hmm. somehow you know there was there was an opportunity that was realized and exactly. then they just they kept going to these lengths to kind of <clears throat> just mess with them more and more and more and you know, to the point that he was just, he was just completely frazzled. I mean, the guy, he became, wasn't he like seeing orbs in his house too at that point? Like, well, that's what, that's one of the really confusing things because Bill Moore, the guy who wrote the first book about Roswell and who uh, was a Richard Doty collaborator from inside the UFO community, um, who also just so happened to be fluent in Russian, 
<laughs> um, uh, he and Richard Doty both say that independently of each other that they saw the orbs in his house too. So, I mean, uh, the uh, apparently an NSA guy was there too, and said it wasn't his. So it's that 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 aspect is one of those things that's just like kind of confusing and maybe an actual real thing. Um, but at the same time, who fucking knows? But the, the, I mean, the, it's um, it's eerily similar to what's going to what was going on with uh, with Chris Bledsoe and the, I, j- okay, just so recently. I would love for you to tell me about that after I say this thing I'm about to say because I haven't followed the Bledsoe's closely. I'm familiar with them, um, but the uh, thing with uh, you're saying the 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 beginning of the Benowitz thing. Um, it's possible that they were flying the ship for him to see. Like mm-hmm. he could see it from his porch. He, he could see it from his porch. And one of the people involved was at this cabin mutilation conference. So. Where, where did uh, where did he live in rela- like in relation to Albuquerque? Was was he in the city or was he outside? Great question. Um, I am not positive because I, like I I know from you know from like from knowing people pilots at the base that. I, and living in Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah, there are there are flights that go over all the time. I mean, I see C one thirties over my house sometimes. I see helicopters from the base. I see all kinds of things from the base. I don't think they're yeah. doing any sort of like development programs at, at Kirtland anymore. If they, I mean, whatever right. they were doing at any point, but things do. You know, things like I haven't I haven't personally witnessed anything unusual. I mean, they're all planes and helicopters that are recognizable, but. If something is, if there is a plane and an experimental plane and it's traveling across, you know, they're moving it from one base to another, it could easily come and land here and then leave and nobody would ever know because it would be in some hangar that's, that is secured and only necessary people are going to know that it's even there. You know, right. so it comes in at night, it leaves at night, you know, like, and it's, it's very low profile. If somebody does see it, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it turns into a UFO story, but the, the frequency but, of it. Yeah. But it, but you know, at some point there could have been a lot more. And especially as we were That's ramping true. up to, um, to, toward, uh, the war in Afghanistan, there were a lot of training, uh, training operations that were done in New Mexico in different parts of the state because of the similarity in the, in some of the terrain. Are you, um, is this a reference to the Phoenix lights or something? No, no, actually it's not, but it very okay, well could be. Okay. Right. There's times when, you know, like some of these flights, they, they can, they can do night flights with on instruments and with night vision, you know, or, or with night vision and be 30, 40 feet above the ground. You right. know, because it's a co- because they're doing combat flight training, and that's how you'd want to fly into a place so that you don't have a high visibility. You know, right. and I, I'm, I'm I'm totally guessing about the actual heights off the ground and everything like that. I mean, everything is everything yeah, is guessing. But I do know yeah. that the but there there were those training operations that were done here during the Cold War. I mean, who knows what the 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 Army Air Corps and then the Air Force in combination with the NSA and CIA were getting up to as far as the types of training programs that they were, they were cooking up. Right. I mean, give- they're, they're probably preparing, preparing for scenarios that we wouldn't even imagine, you know, some things that were completely far fetched, but it's just like pitching any idea in front of a group of people. Like somebody has a wild idea and if they're convincing enough and they have had the right reputation and the right rank, then it happens whether it's useful right. or not. Exactly. And then on top of that, because I mean, this is happening because you're 
we feel, I mean, especially shit like Sputnik, we realize we're behind the Soviets and like, we got to fucking catch up. Um, it's like, if somebody hears that they're doing like psychic research in the Soviet military, like we got to fucking start doing that too. We got to stop. Get those goats in here. Get the goats. (laughs) Man, I just, I I wonder about that stuff. Like how much of that stuff was just absolute disinformation bullshit that was fed out just to get the other side bouncing back and forth. Like Star Wars, for example. Everybody on that program, they knew damn well the Star Wars was never going to work. It was never going to happen. But if they can get the the Soviets spending money on this stuff when they're already when they're when they already have a good idea that they're having economic problems, then then it's like this is just the last nail in the coffin for their economy. You know, get them, get them, just keep back and forth, you know, and like we don't even need to make the technology. We just need to talk about it. Right. The that's uh, the, it, regarding Star Wars. There's a great bit in Mark Pilkington's book Mirage Man about the um, how that was funded. Uh, the demonstration that was given to like uh, Congress or whatever was like just it was, it was fake. Like they they had like a um, they were gonna pre- present this missile defense type system that could like stop anything, and there were a couple things that missed couple like of the defense missiles that missed the missiles and then the one nailed it right on target but it was like fake there was like had all these other things that it like i think what was it it was they used some type of radar spoofing thing to make it look bigger than it appeared so the thing had like an easier target it like had a heat seeking thing or like a remote control thing it, basically the demonstration was fake and then they got 28 billion dollars or whatever it was <laughs> Um, for a start, they got their budget, which they then get to go use on whatever they want because they never whatever intended to build want. this thing in the first place. Exactly. You know, they, all they need to do is just keep the you know keep people walking around the 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 research area and you know and like ostensibly be working on it, but really all the money is going to other projects. That was one of the right. things in the-, the in the congressional hearing that was pretty pretty disturbing. And we all know it's accurate, uh, but uh, uh, one of the one of the few things that wasn't uh, blowing smoke up of everyone's ass from Grush was, oh hey, by the way, all this shit's funded from money that's lost in the sofa, and and uh, uh, that actually does happen because trillions yep. of dollars are lost. Who yep. knows where it goes? But it's not yep. lost. It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, oh, I fell off the back of a truck. It went somewhere. Right. Somebody's somebody's collecting right. that money, uh, and uh, uh, it it is for programs like this where <laughs> we we have this incredibly bloated and opaque system that that is spending insane amounts of money that goes into this black hole. So I mean that that's one of the few things that Grush said that wasn't totally full of shit. Right, but the the things that he's talking about. The, the things that he's implying that they did go to are yeah which is one of the most annoying parts because like with all this money that's just gone like fucking maybe the black triangles are fucking the u.s military <laughs> like I, it's hard to say like i i have a hard time believing that like like we, we make all these advances and uh just these amazing technological leaps during the cold war and since and we I mean, like example uh when were cars invented like the automobile like early 1905 or so yeah so we got that then like 50 years later we're on the moon and then 50 years after that we're still driving the same fucking things yeah but like we have all these other amazing advances and everything else so like 
I don't know, maybe they really fucking <laughs> do have the TR3B or whatever. But like, I also, I have no evidence that they have the TR3B. I think the Black Triangle that I saw wasn't an actual spaceship. Is that a re-engineered uh, uh, UFO? Is that what the TR3B is? That's the uh, the triangular. Oh, one. okay, all right. The the one with the white lights on each point, mm-hmm. and then like a red or white one in the center. Like, maybe I there is some plane that's shaped like a triangle. I mean, maybe, but that would mean that they'd made these breakthroughs that like seem pretty fucking out there. But like maybe they did it. We don't fucking know. <laughs> It, it might be an experimental craft, but it might not necessarily be a breakthrough. You know, like they, like lots of things can can get to the like through the development stages and keep making sense all the way until the point that you build it. And then you realize that, well, this isn't as great as we thought it was going to be. So it has flown and it occasionally still gets worked on, but it might not necessarily be the hot project that they're that, you know, the Department of Defense sure. is interested in. And you find right. this like look at the what is it the uh, the the replacement for the 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 fighter replacement what is it F thirty eight F thirty five F thirty five right that like you can't even get it wet a tr- tr- trillion and a half dollars right <laughs> it didn't even get stopped at some like R and D phase it went all the way nope. into production and sale and delivery before it was realized that. These things, are, these things yeah. are like they need so much work on them. And in part because it's getting jobs in that senator's district. That was a big part of what was fucking happening. I want to say it was well, Delaware, was wasn't it? Yeah. Be- well, I mean, uh, that's the thing with these contracts, too, is like wherever the manufacturing takes place or development or whatever is slated to, to like, you know, get this huge funding in, uh, injection. And that means that you have a couple of senators from that state that are going to back it. And then you're going to have, a, you know, and the bigger the state, the more representatives you're going to get to back it, you know, and, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. and then you end up, you know, you can kind of generate this momentum. And then it's all this horse trading that goes on. Like, you know, you, well, everybody vote for this thing and then I'll back, I'll mm-hmm. support your thing that you're trying to do. Right, right, right. You know, like I'll, I'll help you take away abortion rights. Yeah. Right. <laughs> For a shitty plane. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I mean, uh, I, I, like, yeah. it's not, but you know, I say abortion rights cause you know, cause it sounded funny, but it's not even a Republican thing, you know, right, like it's, it's, it's a politician thing. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it doesn't matter what party they come from, you know, the, there's very few people that are immune to it. There's another really confusing thing about the F-35 is that, I mean, one, it hardly works. Uh, two costs trillion and a half dollars and like still counting. Um, the and it's made by the company that made the F one one seven, the fucking uh, SR seventy two Blackbird. Like, how is that possible? Right. I have a like. I have a hard time. Like, I feel like I have this instinct, like a gut instinct that I repress because I don't think it's true. Uh, that this has to be covered for something. They can't have spent a trillion and a half dollars on this, right? It's it's the, it's they, the movie that produced. It's the movie, the producers, but for aircraft producers, <laughs> right? You make more money from the production failing than you do from, from it exactly, being successful. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they did do this and you know, it can, it can be a scenario too. Like, you know, with, uh, with, a with the companies that we're familiar with, like IBM or GE or something like that, where, yeah, they like IBM was pioneering in, in, in comp in computers 
in developing mainframe and early computer technology. Absolute pioneers, just groundbreaking stuff for decades. Immediately used for the Holocaust. Well, and then immediately used for the Holocaust. <laughs> they didn't care who they were selling it to. But then look right. at look at what they turned into and to the point that they're basically a shell that makes like, you know, they're making printers. They don't even really do anything anymore to that extent. You know, like it's just the, it's just this leftover brand. Yeah, it's it's like it's like they like plateaued with um, what is it? Uh, Deep blue. I think we're looking at just we're we're seeing parallels in a sense, but maybe analogs in these different sectors for just this is just what capitalism looks like when it gets to this point mm -hmm. where everything gets hollowed out and it's only the appearance of things. Right, and you know, another, another part of the, the the Lockheed, like talking about IBM plateauing like that and Lockheed plateauing like that, it also could be we hit a physics like wall. Yeah, too. it's true. Like we may, we might not be able to make a better plane than we have in the past. Yeah, maybe, um, yeah, maybe there's some limit with aerodynamics, and there's a limits with propulsion mm -hmm. and the fuels that are available and the ways that we they can be burned and like it's crazy we haven't seen like a new like badass type of plane in a long time and, and even I mean, to a degree there there may be even other other kinds of uh limits the the supersonic jet from like the late i want to say the late 80s i'm gonna say the early 90s there's a supersonic jet you're you're across the pond over the concord. atlantic the concord in yeah, a couple yeah, hours yeah, yeah. and it wasn't because the technology was bad it was that the the maintenance costs on the plane and and just the, the fuel and and whatever else what whatever went it's into not profitable. it it wasn't profitable it was just not sustainable for that technology to exist because people couldn't or wouldn't pay enough money for what it took to for that little fucking thing to transport however many dozens of people it could transport right so that's the story ah but it's aliens uh, or I mean, at least, <laughs> at least when, when, it, when it comes to the Concord, though, but I think, you know, like maybe I'm just fixated on this now because I said it a few minutes ago. They can offer less and charge the same prices. Yeah, I, I listened you know, to the true, they can put true people, Airlines episode. Well, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> they can get people if they if they don't offer this anymore, which if the maintenance cost for a small fleet is going to be, you know, where it has like specialized tools and routines and yeah. requires specific equipment and a particular type of fuel and all that stuff. <laughs> I don't know anything about the Concorde other than that. It was a really cool plane sure. and it really it fucking sick, sucks yeah. that I never got to fly in one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there it is as this fantastic thing. And it's like, we hit this high watermark because we hit that high watermark with the SR 71 too, when it comes to the technology, you know, like we, and it just got rolled back. You know, now it's like yeah. this, this plane from the seventies is, it stands alone. Nothing, nothing yep. comes anywhere close to it when to, to do the things that it can do. I mean, that thing can fly into the stratosphere. That thing can, that thing gets like 11 inches longer when it's at altitude, right. which is uh, these engineers hey. are <laughs> whoa, whoa magicians. There <laughs> 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 like the, the metal literally expands and things so crazy. 11 inches longer, 90,000 feet above the ground. And it just doesn't fall apart, which is insane. They're magicians. Yeah, they, and they really were. With the way that our economy is structured, there is no force that drives development like that. Right. There, yeah. There's no reason to because everybody's used to what we have. And yep. they're, they're willing to just deal with it. You know, they, there's, no, there's nothing that's going to push that along, which is, right. you know, which makes me think that, 
you know, that the, these experiments go to a point and then they just sort of peter out because there's still plenty yeah. of people that are interested in building cool shit, but there's oh, yeah. nobody they, willing they to really out. pay for it on mass. Right. Like yeah, a lot of people have a lot of really good ideas in a lot of different fields, but like, it's just fucking not going to happen, which sucks. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and there's just no, it's another thing Posadas talked about. There's just no incentive to do it or investigate or make it. There's a really in- incredible letter that was written by some astronaut. I don't remember who, uh, but it, it was a letter to a nun. And this nun uh, works in uh, some uh, rural area of a impoverished country. And, uh, uh, she she wrote this an- astronaut and and she she expressed concern about how there's all this poverty in the world and and all sorts of things going on and that are terrible for the existence of humanity broadly and the well-being and the and uh and how can we be spending any dimes at all on going to space and 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 doing uh this type of research and these these projects and the astronaut, it's, it's an incredible letter. I, hopefully, uh, by the end of the episode, I'll remember who the astronaut was. But it, it's like a page and a half. He, he writes her back and he, and he says, you know, how, how much he appreciates what she says. Yada, yada. It's an incredibly thoughtful letter. And what he describes is pretty relevant here. He says that that's not really how budgets work now, nor will they ever work that way where it's not that the space budget is taking from the mouths of the hungry because the mouths of the hungry don't have, you know, uh, a budget that's being shared on the same, on the same pie. It, it's not like an either or kind of a thing with, with the way that these structures are laid out with the way that we organize our society, with the way that government works, with the way that capitalism and the rest of it works. And he describes how, important it is that that we do this research and also deal with the real humanitarian problems that we're facing and these are not either or kinds of choices but uh, and i forget if it's in that letter or he kind of hints at it but one of the crazy things that happens from these kinds of explorations is that we get so much technology that benefits humanity as side projects or as uh, i'm sorry as side effects of this so, you know, a development of aluminum, uh, carbon fiber, uh, all sorts of things that we take for granted in the daily uh, as, as huge innovations and in technology that benefit us are just things that they had to figure out to get into the upper atmosphere. They just had to figure yeah. these things out and then it became all this other crazy shit. And that is really where we can have so much innovation for unintended reasons because we had to figure this other shit out and then we invent 10 other things on the way. Right. That's, it's kind of what I was saying earlier with the, the development of the nuclear bomb and all of technological development is basically, I mean, even the internet, just a product of the, um, war R and D like everything is made for war first and then everything else is, comes after that. It's all, it's all, um, um, it's superfluous or whatever. Uh, which is unfortunate. I would like to see what a society who actually cared about not war could uh, w- would make. Because it's it's hard to even imagine. Um, I, I'm listening to the audiobook of Yasha Levine's book, um, 
uh, surveillance. What is it? Surveillance something. It's about the origins of the internet. Um, and the, uh, it, it's a history of the internet that you won't find in the other histories of the internet. And like what purpose the internet has what was supposed to have at the beginning and continuing up to today. And it was made to fucking win the Vietnam war by eliminating all these other things, these, these, uh, variables that we hadn't data collection and then analyzing that data and then figuring out what parts of the Ho Chi Minh trail to just decimate. Um, the, the all technology it's just so depressing that we only have all the nice things we have because of war and then at the same time we also don't have like like i don't have enough money to get a tooth filled or whatever <laughs> like yeah. it's just so fucking stupid and the what people i think what the this dis- coming back to what we were supposed to be talking about the, the disclosure movement like in solaris everybody wants well one to be able to say that they were right um and two uh they want somebody to save us um because nobody can envision a future together it's just so everything is so grim the only hope is a divine miracle like god intervening or aliens coming or us getting free energy technology that the government's hiding uh, which would be from the aliens, which would be a gift from the aliens, basically. That, that, that's what this is all about. The subtext of all of this is that there are this technology from aliens in their spaceships that the government has, and that means that they've already done the work, they already know the truth, and we don't have to do any work, and we can just sit back and watch the show, and it's going to happen. I actually called into uh, Jimmy Church's show once, like a few years ago. <laughs> And uh, I, I didn't realize I was the last caller to, for, for what it's worth. I didn't realize he was just trying to go to bed. But um, I asked, like, if we should just sit, sit back or there's stuff we can do. Um, and what he said was, uh, you know what? <laughs> and he told me to get night vision goggles and wait for our space brothers. But fuck you, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, even Gene Roddenberry imagines the 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 future utopian society as starting after the next world war has decimated the human population, uh, and and there's this aftermath uh, with a guy in a silly hat leading the way in a bathrobe, and uh, <laughs> and then we've got we've got the Vulcans coming down at that point. So, so even Gene Roddenberry, who's imagining uh, this this uh, socialist uh, future where it's essentially the space navy going out there saying we're not militaristic, but we do get in a lot of fights somehow. But we're definitely yeah. not a military, despite all these guns and photon for- to- torpedoes. And uh, uh, and even then, Gene Roddenberry in all his. Uh, uh, fantasy and you which was kind of a departure in fiction at that time for whatever it's worth from the idea that shit's gonna go to shit it was more like no shit's actually gonna get great but that's a good point even then gene roddenberry's like yeah but we're gonna totally destroy everything first and then this guy's gonna use some bubble gum and duct tape and put together a a interstellar machine it's like okay i mean that that 
that was the Posadas idea, right? He was like a nuclear war accelerationist. Yeah. Like he, like that was what was gonna, that was what was gonna get the aliens here was to a nuclear war. I, which I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It, yeah. it is, and it's it's not even that far from the millenarian idea of how all this works. Is is we got to get everything ready uh, for for the mythical figure to arrive at the right time to save us. So in the in the Posadas idea, we just kind of swap out one deity for another. So we're we're right. ditching we, we Sumer speed, and going speed. with uh, the hair guy. Right, and we can speed that up too. We can get this going. We just drop a few nuclear bombs on each other. Yeah, acceleration is pretty goofy. The lack of just like no, but none of these people are like high on life. Basically, nobody likes being alive. Like, if you actually think that that's the solution, like you're just miserable. You just don't. Can't, you're just lazy. You can't envision a future in which we actually do something to fix things. Uh, it, it's really what the UFO stuff is. We really just have no other. The planet's going to blow up unless we get their fucking technology and have free energy. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this tripped out journey into UFO country. Make sure to share this episode on social and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I mean, really anywhere, uh, but at least those ones. And all, all of our socials are at WetWiredPod. So if you're on Shitter or... If you're if you're finding us on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Instagram, it's all at WetWiredPod. If you want something a little bit more personal, you can also join our Discord. The link will be in the episode description. So until next time, everybody. Later, skaters. We're in Dulce, New Mexico, about 200 miles away from Albuquerque. Our goal is to locate a secret underground base where the government reportedly has been uh, housing aliens and carrying out strange experiments. My name's Ken Storch, and there's definitely something strange going on in Dulce, New Mexico. My name is Bob, I'm an undercover operative, and Dulce is the ultimate undercover operation. We're here in Dulce meeting with Bob and Ken, investigators that have been looking into this area for over 10 years now. These guys have made Dulce the central focus of their investigations because they believe something really strange is going on here. What got you into the Dulce business? When we first learned about the Dulce papers from this retired Air Force colonel, uh, we were told that there was an underground base here in the Mesa. The Dulce papers surfaced in the 1980s and they documented the levels of experimentation going on at that secret base. They also talked about a fight. We're here at the base of Archuleta Mesa to meet with archeologist Garth Baldwin to discuss the geological makeup of the Mesa and see if it's even possible that an underground base could be built here. Garth, we're here at the base of the Archuleta Mesa, inside of which there's reputed to be a top secret base for genetic engineering. I guess the question for all of us is, what kind of engineering would it take to have created such a base inside the Earth? Can you tell us about the rock formations and what kind of rock we're dealing with? Up on the mountain where you do find soil, it's between one foot and less, and then it's just bedrock. 
The upper strata up there that you can see exposed is a, is a columnar basalt. That's much too fragmentary for any kind of drilling or anything else. It makes great fence posts, but it wouldn't necessarily support uh, being ground out inside. But below that, there's layers of basalt that are more structurally sound. There's also sandstones below that. It sounds like um, top layer, very, very difficult to drill through. They'd have to start at the bottom of the mesa or near the bottom of the mesa where there's a, a stable strata of rock that they could get into. Let's just say you were hired by the government to design an underground base. Would there be any reason for you to pick Ar Archuleta Mesa? It's a mesa. So you've got a starting point where you know where the, the stratigraphic layers of rock are. So you've got a structure to begin with. According to the specifications that we've been given for this base. How much of a diameter does this have right here? The base can extend up to 4.87 miles. 4.8 miles, is that correct? 4.8 miles diameter. That's the diameter of the base. That's about the size of the mesa. That would fit within the structure that you're talking about. Garth is telling us that Archuleta Mesa actually has the size to, to house something of this magnitude. And while I don't necessarily believe yet that there is a base inside the mesa, it's good to know that the possibility of it being there is real. It's conceivable that they're coming in through tunnels and actually drilling out the, the space for this underground base from the bottom up. If that technology were true, then that would be possible. The human species has such a knowledge of uh, mining and, and you know, structural engineering that I'm not surprised by anything that we, our engineers can do. I'm really happy to hear Gar's feedback about what the makeup of the Mesa. And it does seem like he thinks it is possible to have an underground base there, even given the, the massive size of this thing. Garth said he didn't know what kind of technology we had that can do this kind of drilling in an expeditious way, but John Rhodes showed us that technology exists today. Therefore, it's quite possible we are standing in the shadow of the Dulcie Base.